Hello, ladies and gentlemen, my brothers and my sisters. It is Brother Solis live with another episode of Coffee and the Truth. And help me give an applause to my brother Hall. Hey, my vibes. And we brought on our sister from the same mister, but they just cut us out the picture. Sister Heather. Hey, everybody. So I had to get this woman back on this podcast because behind the voice is a wonderful testimony of what God is capable of doing in somebody's life. And I felt that all she had been through, she shared this a little bit, but even in that little bit she shared with me, I said, let's put this out there. There is people who believe the same lies that were told to you, who share the same scars, that you share the same tears that you shed and don't realize that they can make it out or that those scars can actually be turned into beauty because of what is being told to us and what we ultimately start believing, not realizing that it is a lie. Share a little bit with the sister of, of your testimony. Well, I guess if I could say anything right now, I would say is I've been through a lot of hardships and a lot of things that um, most people in their lifetime don't see or go through. But, you know, I never gave up and I kept pushing through it. I, d- I didn't allow myself to um, stay down. And um, I kept seeking and searching for the thing that I knew it was right and that was God. If there's anything I want someone to get from this is that you can overcome and that you can make it through. Because if you would have asked me a long time ago if you I would be who I if I thought I would be who I am today, I honestly would say I wanted to, but I didn't know if I actually seen it. It because it was so out of it looked like it was so out of reach. So growing up, you grew up in a broken home, I guess. W- w- say mom and dad weren't together. Oh, yeah. Um, so when I was two months old, my parents um, split up. So I've never known them to be together. I've never known um, uh, what a functioning household looked like to have your parents both together, um, working together and having that nice household. What I looked up to was um, the Disney Channel um, TV and movies where, you know, mom and dad were together, mom stayed home and did like some type of business and dad went off to work. And so what I looked up to was what I seen on the TV because it's all I had as a um, role model. Did this, you know, broken home growing up, did that have like an impact on your life? Oh, yeah. Um Growing up, I couldn't really find my place. I didn't have a safe place, really. Um, 
So I guess if I could start from the beginning, it would be I grew up with my biological mom, and sometimes I seen my biological dad. And then I had another lady that I was allowed to stay with every now and then. I called her my adopted mom. So I guess, like, when I was in my mom's house, I was in a drug dealer atmosphere. My stepdad was a drug dealer. My um, biological mom was a prostitute. You know, I would see all these things going on in the household. You know, I was in a gangster environment, and, you know, what they called themselves was, you know, Crips or gangsters is what they identified as. And so I was I grew up in that type of environment. And then when I'd go home to my dad's house, um, for a while it was okay. For a while it was a safe place until I hit a certain age. And then um, there was a relative there that um, would molest me continually. So I didn't have a safe place at my mom's. I didn't have a safe place at my dad's. And I didn't have a safe place at school because when I went to school, I was bullied for being the kid that nobody else really expected. How did you find, like, did you have to create your own safe space or did somebody introduce you? Was it the gospel? What was it for you? I mean, because if you're drowning, you know, you're going to fight or do whatever you have to do to get air, right? Oh, yeah. Um. So while I'm going through all of this, um, like I said, there's there was no safe place for me. But I remembered as a kid, like I was I really little, um, I remember going to church. You know, my dad would take me to church sometimes um, when he wasn't working. And I remember going and hearing about God. And um, I had like this little, I guess, like kid Bible. So, and then my adopted mom, who I would see like every now and again, um, very rarely I was able to. But when I did get to see her, she would take me to Brother Charles's church. And I got to go there and hear the word of God. And so I knew that God was there, but I didn't know much. And so my safe place was, you know, I would go into the closet and I would pray. And I didn't know what prayer was, but I talked to God and I would just be like, Lord, you see what I'm going through or help me get through this or you know, I would just talk to him like he was my best friend. You know, I'd play stuffed animals with him. <laughs> and so a lot of that was my safe place where I would um, take my pillow and my blankets and I would sleep in the closet and lock the door and just be with Jesus. And something, like, did you feel during during all this time to be uh, – did you ever feel that to kind of think that maybe the the world was just against you and that nobody nobody ever was for you or anything like that? Was that ever something that you kind of wanted to think or that you felt yourself kind of falling into? Yeah, um, my mom really really didn't approve of me. You know, I was a straight A student. Um, I was quiet and. Like I said, I grew up in, in like a in like a thug house, and so I really wanted my mom's love, but my mom wasn't very affectionate. And so, in order for me to get love from her, I would have to um, be the way she wanted me to be. And so, what I would do is I would try to emulate her in order for 
me to receive the love from her. So I would try to imitate her in order to for her to, you know, give me affection or love. Get that verbal affirmation from her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I personally, I I struggle with that, you know, because I didn't have verbal affirmation, so which made me insecure. Mm-hmm. If you're one person who needs verbal affirmation, if you feel that's your love language, uh, really. Reach down in your heart and find out where the insecurity is because that's what it is. Because if you feel that you need approval from somebody else to tell you that you're doing a good job, it's probably you're dealing with insecurity. And whenever I did the, I think it's like five level languages or something of that nature test, mine was verbal affirmation. That's because I was insecure at the time. And so uh, this affirmation you didn't get from her, which ultimately does make you do the wrong things like I love the song by Lecrae called Like You and he says something on there that some people may not realize it's true and he says they say that I'm good at bad things at least they're proud of me so they're not proud of me when I got I'm an A on a row student but they're proud of me when I go breaking the cars or they're proud at me whenever I smoke weed or they, they're proud of me whenever I know how to cuss. They're proud of me, in, in my case, was when I used to know how to rap and about killing and drug dealing and all this stuff. So you went down pretty much the same path, huh? I mean, no, yes and no. Um, for a little while, I, w- I started drinking. And I think I, at the age of 13, um, my mom got me, a, like, a Boone's Farm bobble, bottle. Mm-hmm. And I started drinking, and I think I was an alcoholic, maybe in junior high. And I stopped drinking at the age of, I want to say, 16. But, um, you know, all of that was to try and gain her approval. Everything in me was telling me, this is not who you are. This is why are you doing this? Everything in me was saying, what are you doing? But I was, like, I tried so hard to say, you know, I really want to be, I really want my mother's love right now. And so I tried to do that, but at the same time, I was like, I can't keep doing this. I got to fight back. This is not who I am. I got to get back up. So going back to the closet, which is pretty awesome because if you read scripture, you know, the Bible tells you, to Jesus says to go into your closet, right? And so just hearing you as a kid go into your closet and seeing Jesus as a friend, as we know, the Bible says that he, he, you know, Abraham was a friend of God. So just seeing him as a kid, it's just something about childlike faith. Just welcome him in, in a place where it seems like there's no hope. Nobody's pushing hope and there's no way out. I'm in this dungeon. I don't even know where the door, how black it is because it is so dark in here. And here you are allowing God to be your friend inside of a closet, not really understanding prayer, but at the same time, just that little bit of childlike faith would help you in this stage at 13 and 16 realize that this is not who you are. I guess what I'm saying is is the, the cliche that you always hear is prayer changes things. But sometimes prayer doesn't change things, but it will change you. Yes. Um, you know, like I said, that prayer closet, I really didn't know what I was doing. 
I just wanted to be with somebody, and I knew Jesus could be my best friend. Um, I had so many things going on in my life where I felt like I was drowning. I had nothing. But I had to learn to have a mindset to look for positive things, to look for good things. You know, when you are surrounded by darkness and adversity, you have to find a light. You have to look for positive things. You have to put your mind on something good. You know, and those are things that I would, you know, small things like a flower or let me sit outside for a little bit and and the breeze would blow and I would just sit out there and write poetry and talk to the Lord. But um, little things like that you had to find joy in. So I think a lot of part that being, I think a lot of who I am today had to do with some of that because now I am able to find joy in a lot of things. Which is really amazing. It really is because when I was growing up, like I believed in Jesus and I, I, you know, I did believe in God. I really did. I just had the product of my environment mentality. I was a victim. I really was. I can, I can be honest with you. I embraced that. This was my culture. I came from the projects, you know, the white man's against us. They just want to throw us in jail and, you know, keep us as drug addicts and, not realizing that we're the ones selling drugs to each other. You know, but don't get me off on that right now. But that victim mentality, it, it it's, it's poison. It really is. And here you are not embracing that, but you're finding hope. And we see this prayer closet we see this gospel, and I guess I'll ask you, how did you do it? Man, I just, you know, a lot of it wasn't me. It was the Lord. Honestly, I could say a lot of it has to do with your mindset. I refused to stay down. Um, I kept getting back up. I wouldn't allow myself to be a victim. I had too many little brothers and sisters to look after to allow myself to be a victim and fall. And so every time I felt like I was down or something was hurting me, I pushed back and I got back up. And I was like, no, this is not going to happen. You're different than this. And so I'm, I, like, I even recall one time um, my mom was really drunk and I came home and I was mad at her because she was drinking and I didn't like it. And I was I wanted to go to bed already. And I I had school the next day, and so I was like, I'm, I'm ready to go to bed. And so her and I are fighting. We're going at it, and then uh, I run at her. And so she grabs me by the throat, and she throws me down. And then I get back up, and I do it again, and I get back up and do it again. And I'll never forget the words because she was like, why won't you just stay down? And in that moment, in my mind, you know, I was like, because I refuse to stay down. I refuse to be held down. I refuse to allow what's happening to me when I'm not going to allow this, I'm not, I'm not going to allow something else to win over me. Was that the point that, that you kind of, that your whole mindset had changed or was there maybe something before that where you had just had in your mind? Cause I would, I would assume before you had in your mindset that you're not a victim or that you're not going to have that mentality that you probably thought you were a victim or in some way, 
but like what what kind of it was at the moment that all of that changed are you just like no I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be like this I'm not gonna be a victim um I think in that moment I realized what that you know I'm that I'm stronger you know that not that I was stronger than her but that I was strong enough to say I'm not I'm going to keep getting back up no matter how many times I fall down in that moment I realized okay you can keep getting back up mm-hmm. and so that would that was one of the things that really and I, I guess a follow-up question to that that I was wondering is was there any point I guess maybe after you had thought that that it that it came to a point that you almost just wanted to give up. Oh yeah. Um, many times, you know, because on, on top of going to school and getting bullied, um, I was trying to raise my siblings while going home, watching my mom get beat, hearing her get raped, um, seeing drugs in the household, um, going to my dad's and being molested, not by my dad, but by someone else. And then, um, being able to go to church here and there, that was my, that was my hope because it was the only place where I felt like I belonged. And so I'd go into church and I would, I would, I finally felt like I was doing something right. Like it was somewhere where I was supposed to be, somewhere where I belonged. I could feel the same thing that I felt in the closet. And so, um, I remember, I remember going to church as a little kid and this little kid passes out in front of me in, in the spirit, and I didn't know what was happening. And um, I was so mad because he fell down, and I, I was scared. I thought something happened to him, and the teacher came and explained to me what was going on in Sunday school. And um, then I got jealous, and I was like, well, Lord, why did you give him that much and not me? And so I remember praying my, like, almost my entire life. I remember praying, and that, that moment I sat there, and I prayed so hard, and I was like, Lord, Give me that same thing. I, I want to do that too. <laughs> like, allow, allow me to have that. Now, I know a lot of people try to hide your type of testimony because what they do is they use everything that you've been through and they try to have it as a defense of why there is no God. Was there, with all this bullying, situations happening in your home, the molestation, did you ever question God? No. Why not? I just, I knew he was there. I knew he seen everything. It, It was just something I didn't question. I mean, as a kid... I mean, like I said, I had this this relationship with him as a young child where I would go into my closet. So I had a prayer closet before I knew what a prayer closet was. And um, I talked to him all the time. I had no other friend I could really rely on. And um, when I did have friends, they were the wrong friends. And uh, I knew I knew it. And so I knew I needed to stay away from them but I didn't. <laughs> and so I never questioned God because he always showed up. Like I was 
I was safe in that closet. That was my only safe place. And I remember being in there and feeling like nothing in here can get me. This is my place. I'm okay here. And uh, it was, you know, little things like that he would do. I remember I would pray one night. Um, you know, I've got, I've came really far. I used to sleep with all of my clothes on, like my shoes and everything, because I was afraid I'd have to get up and run. I was afraid the cops were going to come. I was afraid, um, you know, uh, one of my mom's boyfriends was going to get up and beat her or something, and we were going to have to leave the house quickly. And so as a kid growing up in an environment like that, you learn to be prepared. You learn to be ready. And so I stayed with, I would sleep with everything, and everything was in a pack ready to go. And so, you know, things like that. But I would pray, and, you know, Lord, let nothing happen tonight. Let, let us have peace. Let me, let me sleep tonight. I just want to sleep through the night without being afraid. And that night nothing would happen, and there would be complete peace. And I wouldn't have to run out the door. Oh, that's uh, that's awesome because I know when when I dealt with um, the sexual abuse that I went through, and I went through um, the heartbreak that I had, and it felt like it felt like for a while everybody was against me, but I knew I had the mindset that this is happening to me, but God's not doing it. Mm-hmm. And um, one thing that I guess I. I would like to wonder is what what maybe have been something that kind of maybe you felt it from the Lord that kind of kept you in this whole thing because I know when I when I was going through everything I went through I knew that once I got filled with the Holy Ghost and and speaking other tongues that I made up my mind that I would never like I may not always do a hundred percent but I was never going to leave the Lord is there anything that maybe uh, may have kept you. Maybe it was just uh, you probably already answered it with not not staying down. But was there anything maybe God God had given to you while you were in your prayer closet or just in your safe place, like that just kept you? No, um, honestly, it was just joy. A lot of the times, I'd find joy in the darkest places, and I knew where it came from. You know, I would I would sing songs like um, my favorite song was My God's an Awesome God. And it was like, you know, when he rolls up his sleeves, he ain't just putting on the Ritz <laughs> and uh, things like that. And so, you know, there's thunder in his footsteps and lightning in his fist. And so to me, God was God was a lion. You know, he was my protector. He was someone that um, was there all the time. So songs like that. And then, um, you know, just just talking to him. Like I said, it was a day to day thing. I don't, I don't really think there was a certain point. There are like points in my life where I've seen God do miracles mm-hmm. and where I've watched him work, but there was no specific point that held me like that. Um, I Maybe, okay, maybe when I was, we lived in this two-story house when I was younger and I was, like I said, I was watching my siblings trying to help raise them. My mom was drugged out and, um, my stepdad had left because they got mad at each other or something. And um, so I'm sitting there trying to get my sisters and brothers ready for school and everything. And I said, you know what? Forget about it. We're not doing it today. <laughs> and um, I got tired and I got so mad that I went outside and um, I had a punching bag. So I would go out there and I'd punch my punching bag. But I came back in. I had enough. 
I'd had enough. I didn't know when it was going to stop. And I was like, Lord, when is this going to stop? I don't understand. And so um, I remember grabbing a knife, and I was going to slit my wrist that day. And um, I remember looking up and saying, Lord, if this is not something you want me to do, then, then I need you to do something about it. Because right now this feels like this is the only option. And uh, my little sister walked in as soon as I said that prayer and uh, gave me a reason to say, hey, you know what, I'm just going to put this up. Lord, you you did something about it. Now, as human beings, we're addicted to happiness and we're sober from joy. The reason is because joy is a spiritual thing. One of the fruits of the spirit is joy. Mm-hmm. And we get them we get them confused. Mm-hmm. And so if you're wondering like, how could this woman find joy in that? Because it's not from her. Happiness is something that I, it's like if my wife for my birthday gives me a new iPhone, that's happiness. But joy is regardless if I got that, I can have the Nokia, you know, the one, the brick one with the snake on it. I can let, and I can still, be satisfied. Joy is going to keep me satisfied. Happiness is temporary. Mm-hmm. And so I just want to share that with people because I know it sounds like she's, when she says the word joy, your mind is trying to tell you it's happiness. No, it's not happiness. Happiness is always going to be temporary. And we're fixated on temporary things when we're trying to look for eternity. I love how KB said it. He says, searching the earth for what you, for what you only find in heaven. And see, the reason why she was able to find joy through all this because she was seeking heaven, not earth. If she was seeking earth, then she would have probably been smoking weed. Because yeah. that's what I chose to do. I chose to smoke weed because uh, I was a victim. Because that's what a victim is going to make you. It's going to make you an addict. You're going to be addicted to something. And so I would smoke weed for me to find joy. Mm-hmm. I wasn't finding joy. I was finding happiness. That's the reason why... The high left and the depression was still there and the victimhood was still there because I was searching the earth for what I can only find in heaven. Yeah. And the awesome thing is that you found that at an early age. And so when I say prayer, you may view prayer differently because you see the results of what prayer can do for you. Because there's a lot of people, and I said it earlier they look at that cliche because they heard it time and time again. Oh, prayer changes things. Prayer changes things. But in this concept, prayer then probably changed your surroundings, but it sure did change you. It changed everything, man. It changed me. It changed my life. It changed everything around me and the people around me, not just me. Um, honestly, I can say, you know, yeah, I, was, I wasn't searching for this world because I had already seen what all this world had to offer me. Mm-hmm. I've seen so much already at an early age, you know, by the age of 13, I was an alcoholic, you know what I mean? And so I had already seen what this world could do. I needed something more. And the only thing that was out there that was available was Jesus. And this place, I I, I didn't want to be my home. I, ha- I had to find another home. I had to find something else to look to. And, um, you know, when... We say prayer changes things. Literally, God has been there every step of the way since I was a child in my prayer closet. You know, before I knew what a prayer closet was, sitting in there playing stuffed animals with Jesus because he's the only friend I had. Growing up, drinking alcohol, I was drunk and praying. 
saying, Lord, please don't let me die because I know I just drank a 24-pack um, by myself, and I was tiny. So that was a miracle that I lived. <laughs> um, she still is. <laughs> and, um, you know, just things like that. I prayed throughout my entire life. Growing up, I had adversities all the time. So when there was no adversities, um, it was kind of hard because I knew how to push through the adversities. And so, um, you know, like I said, growing up when I was little, I lived in a household like that. I didn't have a safe place. Um, as a teenager, I tried to be something I wasn't um, in order to gain approval from my mother. And then I quickly realized it's not who I was. It was tearing me up inside. So it only lasted like a year or two. And then um, when I was 17, I asked my dad for a Bible. And I was like, Dad, I want to know more about God. I, I need to know more. That's the Bible I still have today. You know, the one that's brown and all tore up. <laughs> um, you know, it's... I got one like that, too. Yeah. And, you know, I, I asked him, I was like, Dad, I really need to know this. And he was like, why do you want a Bible? And I was like, just, you know, because I want one. And he was like, okay, well, let's talk about it. So he ended up getting me one for Christmas. And um, I thought it was going to be a nook, so I was a little disappointed. But then later on, it, you know, it ended up being the best gift I ever had. So at 17, I really started studying. I started reading Psalms. I started reading Matthew. Um, Proverbs was my favorite thing to go to, um, which is weird, you know, when you first start reading the Bible, Proverbs, um, because I really wanted to live for the Lord. And so I went and I tried to live every Proverbs out. <laughs> and, um, you know, I would study the Proverbs and I'd say, okay, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's try to do everything right for God. And... um the more I started doing that, the more he started talking to me. The more I started seeking him and see, he, seeing him, um, started having visions, and he started telling me things, and my husband got sick. So Eric and I weren't married, and not at this time. You know, you know, we're still young, and he got sick in college. And so now we're in college, and, um, you know, life is supposed to be getting better, but then he gets sick. And he can't work, and he can't go to school. And so I see, m I see him deteriorating mentally, physically, all, all the way around. And I didn't know what to do but and to seek God like I always had. So I started opening my Bible. I started reading, and I started praying. And I was like, Lord, I need you to do something. I need you to move now. And, um, you know, Brother Newsom had somehow got a hold of us and started coming over to the house, giving us Bible studies. And I remember saying, I want more. You know, because I was doing this and praying for him, I actually ended up wanting to seek more. I started fasting before anyone ever told me about fasting uh, because I read it in the Bible. And so I was fasting and I was praying. And I was like, Lord, <laughs> I wanted so much a church. I was going to like three or four different churches at the same time because I was seeking him so hard that I was like, well, you know what? I, I got to keep pushing. I got to keep getting through this. And um, I was like, if I can't find a church, then I'm going to make my own. <laughs> and he was like, wait, wait, no, 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 not yet. <laughs> and then that's when we found Peace Tabernacle. I was afraid to walk in, but we did it, and it was awesome. <laughs> but, um, you know, praying, now my husband is healed. God has healed my husband. You know, he recently healed him this year. And so my husband was sick from 2012 to this year. And, you know, during that time, at the same time he was sick and I was working, um, I was going to court for my sisters against my mother. So 
you know, I told you the story about my mom. And, um, I, you know, it's just a little bit of it. And so while I'm sitting there in court, I'm looking at my mom, and I'm just like, Lord, I don't want them to go through what I went through. I, I, I can't have that, Lord. I will raise them for you. I, I will, I'm making a covenant with you right now. I will bring them to you. I will raise them for you. I will make sure that they are yours if you just allow me. And so I prayed and prayed and prayed, and then um, I had my Bible open one day, the day, day before the final court date. And um, I told God, and I was like, I'll give my life for these kids just to live for you because I, I don't want to see another one of my brothers or sisters go down the same track. I can't watch another one. Um, I can't watch another one get taken away by, by Satan. And so he was like, verbally, I heard God. And he said he had it. And I just started crying because I, the presence of God was so strong. And um, this is before I knew about the Holy Ghost. I was going to the Methodist church. <laughs> and, um, you know, I just started crying and um, realizing, you know, what God had just done. And so then I walked in the court that last day, super confident. Everyone was, like, all nervous. And I was like, no, we got this. We won this. And so we won. And, um now my brothers and sisters are in the custody of my in-laws, and I get to help raise them, and they come to church with us every service. And they're awesome. They're in my youth group. <laughs> I call them, all right, now I know they ain't ghetto babies, but they my ghetto babies, okay, because they're <laughs> loud. I mean, the room volume is at 2, and they want to be at 10. And they, they, they're my ghetto kids, and I, I love them, though. One time they didn't come to youth youth on Wednesday, and we didn't know how to act up in that youth group. Like, we're like, we need them. They, <laughs> you know what I mean? They're loud, they're just, but they're awesome. I love them because they're they're them. There's through Everything that they've been through in life, as is, is Heather Sharon, even through her young sister, there's 13. 13. 13. They're not a product of their environment. That's what I was telling Heather because, you know, that was one of Heather's big deal is everything that they've been through affecting them, right? Mm -hmm. And so I told her, I said, just seeing how they are, you can tell that those prayers that you've been praying for them and that mindset that God has given her is on them, you know. And we, we do get scared. It's not that we don't trust God. It's... We don't trust ourselves, I guess you can say. And because the the Bible tells us the heart is deceitful above all things and who can know it, but but God. And so I just tell her, you know, she wants to make sure she's she's leading them in the right way. But at the same time, she wasn't doesn't want to be too conservative or too liberal. You know what I mean? Yeah. She basically has the mindset of a parent, you know, the same thing with my children, you know, you, Am I being too hard? Am I being too soft? Or am or am I trying to make them babies? Or mm-hmm. am I trying to make them grow up too fast? And I just told her, you know, they're they're awesome. They're they're getting it slow and sure. I was uh giving them some doctrine, and one of them actually knew it. I was I was telling them uh, Matthew one twenty three is a fulfillment of what, and and I think it was Melanie. Man, I don't you you one of them, all right. One of the M's. <laughs> I know, I know, I can tell them. Okay, at the time, I don't know which one it was though. She's all like, "Oh, it's a fulfillment of Isaiah seven fourteen. Mm-hmm. 
And so it was awesome. You know what I mean? As as it's things like that that you don't get to see. Yeah. You don't get to realize that there's an impact in their life. As long as we let go. And that's a big thing that we have to do. See, forgiveness is something that me and you can never comprehend. Yeah. We can't. Because the forgiveness of Christ is something that we had did wrong. Mm-hmm. I don't know how it feels to look down and to tell people who are crucifying me, who are thirsty and I had the water, who were hungry and I had the food, who were questioning and I had the answer, who are wandering and I had the knowledge to crucify me and still say, forgive them. I can try to comprehend this stuff, but the forgiveness of God is something that I cannot totally understand because just to feel that way. But see, forgiveness is something that we have to embrace so we can let go. I can never move forward unless I forgive. I know we preach the forgiveness of Christ so much, but one question we don't ask ourselves is, what if Christ chose not to forgive? Then ultimately, he could not move forward. Why? Because I'm still being held on by them. And so one of the victim mentalities is always holding on to them and the reason why I can't progress forward is because I'm holding on to them but when I let them go then I can grow yeah yeah um that was a hard thing for me to learn it took a while for me to get that um but when I finally got it I was like oh yes Jesus um it was hard for me to forgive my mom it was hard for me to um, I mean I still see the guy who molested me today you know it's still it's, it's hard for me to it was really hard for me to sit there and be like, oh, everything's okay, you know? Um, but once I did, it was so much better. You know, I was able to move forward. I was really able to move forward. Um, like, I don't hold it against them anymore. Because, like, I told someone the other day, you know, I've been talking to a guy who's um, in jail for child molesting. And um, I've been trying to help him. And that was, you know, that would have been really hard for me a while back to try and help save a soul that um, is accused of doing something that was done to me. And so I, you know, I was able to sit there and talk to him. And when I seen him in chains and shackles, the only thing that could come to my mind was at one point we were all in chains and shackles. At one point we were all looking at a life sentence to hell, but God. Mm -hmm. But Jesus came through. And so that helps me. That helps me to forgive. And that that showed me how to forgive a lot. Um, I love my mom. I've been through so much. But I love her. And I want her saved. But at the same time, I have to cut ties with her. Because if I allow her to continue in my life 
And because I love her, I'm susceptible to falling back into the trap of trying to receive her love again by doing what she wants me to do. Yeah, it's kind of one of those high school breakups. It's not you, it's me. And really and truly it is. I tell this to the youth, you know, you, you have to understand who you are. And that's something that I preach. If you can't do something, don't do it. Now, I know I understand Paul says, for the Jews, I become a Jews, and for the Greeks, I become a Greek. But nowhere that he say, I become the sin that they're doing. He's mm-hmm. just saying, I get down on their level. That's why he was able to speak to Jewish with their doctrine, and he was able to speak to Gentiles with their ideologies, you know what I mean? Because that's what they were. There was no doctrine. It was just a man-made stuff, and he was able to use that man-made stuff to convert them to the actual gospel. And you just have to be real with yourself. You know, it's it's really not you. It's me, and I understand that I cannot go around there. It's kind of the same reason why, you know, I'm not going to be at a party where everybody's smoking weed. Yeah. You know, it's not you. You know, I understand. I was in the same position that you're you're in. I smoke the same things that you smoked. I listen to the same music and the same lies that you're listening to. But as I cannot make myself vulnerable to them things. And the reason why I was speaking about this forgiveness in your sister's situation is because as long as I keep looking at that behind me and making sure I'm not raising them like this, I can never raise them to the fullness because that's my goal. Mm -hmm. But if I set godly goals for my children, if I set godly goals for my sisters, then godly goals is what they shall achieve because uh, one of the biggest mistakes I, I made in parenting was I don't want to be like my dad. So I bought my son dirt bike. I bought my son games. I bought my son shoes. I bought my son certain things because my daddy didn't do this to me. So am I doing this because I love my child or I'm doing this because I don't want to be like my daddy? And ultimately, that's not love. You get what I mean? Um, my motives are wrong there. You know, that's like me giving you something because I know you're going to give me something I want. Yeah. You get what I mean? That's not love. Andy Mineo said it on, on, on one of his songs. He give you what you need just to get what I need. So what I'm giving to you, I'm really giving to me. That's not love. Yeah. And so that's what it was for me. And that's what had to snap me and say, hey, you got to quit making your motives about them. And I guess that's what I'm trying to to tell you, and you probably already got this mindset. So, uh, somebody else out there, you know, don't don't raise your children and don't try to hold people accountable for your pain. If you're raising them because of your pain, then that's what's raising them is the pain and the hurt. But you've been set free. You know, you're a survivor. You have survived these things. You have overcame these things. Now it's time to start looking at the godly goals ahead of you. Paul says, I press towards the mark. What mark was he pressing towards? Not the one that was behind him, the one that was in front of him. And that press means, yes, there's going to be some fighting. Yes, there's going to be some things that try to pop up against you because you only press something that has some resistance, right? There's a button that got a spring that pushes up, resent. And so you got to, you know, press against those things, but I'm pressing forward. I'm not pressing behind because if I keep looking behind, then that's how I'm going to be raising them. And so, um, as we're talking about this, and the only thing that, well, one of the things that are, is coming to me is seeing Heather's case, and you can simply ask, well, why, why, why? Will God let this happen to somebody? Because we will never comprehend free will. Yeah. 
if I force myself on you, what is that called? Rape. And I'm just being transparent. Okay, I don't want nobody to know that. I'm just being real. Yeah. If God forces himself on me, he is spiritually raping me. Yeah. So every person that did these things to Brother Hall, that did these things to Heather, had the same opportunity that Heather and Brother Hall had. And that was to surrender to Jesus Christ. And say, you know what? I'm a wreck and I'm a mess. Can you fix me? But because of free will, they chose not to. And that's the reason why they're able to get behind these microphones and glorify Jesus Christ. Because they understand that free will. God is not going to force himself on anybody. Even though he's, he's so powerful. Even though he's so mighty. Even though he can speak to storms and calm them just with his voice, and even though his voice can create the heavens and the earth and the stars, the moon, all this power that he has, all of it, but he would never use that power to force himself on somebody. You know, something that, that I like, and I think it was um, what, what your mom said and then even what, what you're saying, brother, that makes me think about it is with Job, his whole thing was the devil basically was saying, man, if these things happen to you, he's going to curse you to your face and die. And then you have his wife that speaks to him and says, why are you holding your integrity? Curse God and die. His, why does his wife care about that? How would his wife even know that this whole thing was about Job's holding to his integrity, what it was, and with all these things that happened to that happened to you and happened to me. We don't war against flesh and blood. It's not these people that we're warring against. They become, when they go against that free will and they go against God, they're allowing themselves to be tools of the enemy to try to bring us down. So just like when your mom's saying, why won't you just stay down? Why are you kidding back up? That wasn't, it's not your, it's not the mom that's, it's like Satan's like, why can't you just stay down? Yeah. Why do you have to get back up? Why can't you just stay down? That's where I want you is to stay down. Yeah. So, Heather, here I am dealing with the same things you dealt with. How do I make it out? Don't give up. No matter how hard it is, no matter how dark it is, no matter what you're facing or who you're facing, don't give up. It doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter what um, comes against you. It doesn't matter how much it hurts. You keep pressing. You keep moving. Even if it's the smallest thing that keeps you moving. You, you find light in every dark place. So just keep, keep looking for the positive things. Keep looking for hope. Keep hanging on to God. And you'll make it through. Prayer changes things. And I love a brother Wadi. 
says, Prayer changes things only if you use it. It's a weapon. And I know at times we can think that it's not doing anything. But it does. Yeah, it really does. And you have to have a mindset of, I'm not going to stay down. You have to have a mindset of, I refuse to give up. I refuse to allow the enemy to win. You know, you have you can't have a victim mentality. You can't. Not in um, a situation like that. When you're surrounded by darkness, if you allow yourself to be a victim, you're going to stay a victim. So you have to get up. You have to fight. You have to persevere. And sometimes it's hard, but in the end, it's worth it. Now, I'm going to do something I've never done on this podcast, but I just felt this so strong. I want to pray. God, there's a place inside of my heart that I've been hiding from you, that I've been hiding from everyone around me. There's a room that I know that you know about, but I haven't let you in. God, I ask that you forgive me for these things, Lord Jesus, in this room. Clean it out, God. Make it a room that is holy, Lord Jesus. Let it be a room that brings your name glory, Lord Jesus. God, I ask that you release me from these shackles that I have put on myself. I ask that you release me from this prison that I have built myself. God. You have called me free, and yet I choose to be locked down. But today, Lord Jesus, in your mighty name, I am free. I am free. I am not a victim, but I am an overcomer. I am not defeated, God. I am not beaten, but through your spirit and through your word and me holding on and believing and trusting in you, God, the gates of hell shall not prevail against me. These scars don't define me, but they drive me. These losses don't define me, but they are lessons. Lord Jesus, this prison It's no longer a prison, but it's a monument that I'm building to look back and tell my children it was this place that the Lord showed his power. It's this place that the Lord transformed my life. It was this place that I seen the power and the glory of God within my life, Lord Jesus. And I thank you. And I appreciate you, God, that anything and everything that the enemy has planned for my life, you crushed it. You made me an overcomer. I thank you for your blood. I thank you for your spirit. I thank you for your word, God. 
And most of all, I thank you for this joy that only you can give. And I thank you, Jesus. I just felt that so strong in the in the Holy Ghost, man. Is you are a testimony. I told this to Brother Tanner. I said, man, brother, it's time for us to start being a testimony. God, if you need a testimony, let it be me. Let it be me. If there's anything that I want to do in this podcast is to let people that feel that they are defeated and beaten to stand up in the face of Goliath and say, not today, Satan. I was just giving you a rest, baby. I'm getting back up. I'm finna knock you down. You don't define me. My wounds don't define me. My hurt don't define me. It, it drives me. There's a big difference. I am not who you said I am. I'm not what they said I am. But ultimately, God, I am what you said that I am. Because your word never fails. It stands and it still is standing. It still is delivering. Understand that that you can be delivered that you can be a child, that you can be forgiven, that you can be an overcomer. I know the mirror, yeah, I know the mirror is telling you something different, but it's time to look back into that mirror and say, not today me, not today Satan, and not today them lies, because I am who God said that I am. All right? It's time for us to rise up. It's time for us to speak up. It's time for us to reach back down and pull people out. Because this is just the work of the enemy trying to keep us down, to keep our voices down, and keep us in this victimhood. Because he is scared that his kingdom is going to come crashing to an end if voices start getting heard and other people start realizing that there's an exit. There's a way out. And his name is Jesus Christ. So we love y'all. And we thank y'all. And I know I usually end this on a low note, but I'm, I mean, I'm fired up in the Holy Ghost. Coffee is running low, and we got to go. But we're going to be testimonies, and we're going to be children of God, and we're going to be stronger than what we've been. We love y'all, and we appreciate y'all in Jesus' name.